years ago called Don't Check Your Brains at the Door. And he was talking about actually going into schools and he was saying Christians don't have to check your brains at the door and be afraid of of um, the things that make up Christianity. But I want to tell you that when you come into the church as well, you do not have to check your brains at the door. Instead, we ask you to bring your questions because I believe Jesus was one that welcomed questions. He never uh, shied away from honest questions. He encouraged them. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look um, at the, the real Christmas story, and we're going to ask some real honest questions, and hopefully we're going to paint a picture of what it was like when Jesus was born. And so that's the first question that we're going to look at today is, what was the world like at the time of Jesus' birth? And specifically, who ruled the world? This is your first thing on your listening guide. Who ruled the world at the time of Jesus' birth? You know this. But who was he a part of? What, what empire? Rome. Ro- the Roman Empire ruled the world. Now, how did that happen? How do you rule an empire today? How do you expand your empire? You conquer it. Power and ambition. My army is bigger than your army. And if you don't believe it, we'll go out into battle and we'll prove which army is bigger. And if my army is indeed bigger and more powerful than your army, then I get to expand my borders. And that's what happened. They took, they took land by force and uh, that's how they expanded their their. Uh, their empire. That's just human nature to think, you know, if I want more, I'm going to go get it. Now, we're going to talk about several folks. We're going to talk about rulers. We're going to talk about generals. We're going to talk about poets and, and historians from that day and what they had to say about the Roman Empire. And here's the first thing that that Diodorus uh, Seculus said of the Romans. They made the boundaries of the empire equal to the boundaries of the earth. Now, I need to show you this real quickly on the map. Can you bring up that map, Josh? Here we go. Now, if you look at this, I know you can't tell this, but the but the colors here represent when the, the Roman Empire, when they expanded. And you got to understand that they started here with this red to 18 B.C. Then this next color, uh, you see that they they expanded their empire until we get to right here, A.D. 14. So this yellow area added to all of the other area is where they were when Jesus was born. And then you see, if you go all the way out to this light yellow, that's where the boundaries of the Roman Empire were. <laughs> And you got to realize at that time, probably weren't many people living up here. Why is that? They hadn't figured out how to live in Siberia yet. So anything that was worth conquering, the boundaries of the known world, that was the boundaries of the Roman Empire. And so they were pretty powerful during that day. Everybody knew who the Roman Empire was and everybody knew what kind of people the Romans were. Titus, who later became a... um, an emperor was sent to crush the Jewish rebellion in, in about 4 B.C. And, and it was said after he did this, 500 or more were captured daily by the Romans. The Roman soldiers, this is unbelievable to me, out of rage and hatred, amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different positions. Now, we're talking about crucifixion here, but, but they nailed their prisoners in different postures. And so great were their numbers that space could not be found for the crosses, nor crosses for the bodies. That's pretty ruthless. See, they didn't have TV. They didn't have satellite dish. They didn't have XM Sirius satellite radio. So what did they do for fun? They crucified people in different positions. Polybius, upon viewing a city destroyed by the Roman Empire... And there were animal and human corpses everywhere said this. It seems to me that they do this for the sake of terror. 
Hysterion gets to a village right after one of these invasions. And he says, there's no point to this kind of slaughter. Various, various, a Roman general was called to put down um, uh, an uprising in a city called Sepphoris. This city was three and a half miles from the city of Nazareth, where Jesus uh, was grown, where he grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in, in Nazareth. And for the people living in Nazareth, Jesus talked about a city set on a hill. He says, no one builds a, a city and puts it on, uh, you know, uh, uh, no one hides a city set on a hill. He says, you don't light a lamp and put it under something so that you cover up the light. You set it out where everything, everyone can see it. If you were living in Nazareth at this, Nazareth at this time, Sepphoris would have been the city set on a hill. I mean, you'd look up there and say, oh, yeah, there's a great, huge Greek city. But because of a Jewish uprising, Varus comes and burns it to the ground. And then he went on this whole scorch and burn campaign where he he burned everything in the countryside and he chased down. There was a time that he chased down 2000 men and crucified them all at one time simply to make a point. What was that point? Don't jack with the Romans. Here's a picture from the movie Spartacus. And I need to point some things out to you. See the crosses here? These were lined the cities coming into, I mean, lined the streets coming into and out of the cities so that everyone who walked into the city or rode into this city knew who was in power. And the, the, the torture of the cross was so great that no Roman citizen could ever be subjected to it. It's only other races could be subjected to this. And one time um, a, a Caesar actually lighted his party in his city by lighting crosses on fire and burning the people who were crucified on the cross. Now, when I'm talking about 2000 crosses on Sepphoris, around Sepphoris, that you could see from Nazareth. Look at this. I don't know if you can tell back here. These are actually crosses that are put up on the hill. You can see them back in the background here. Jesus would have been a teen about this time. And he could have looked out from Nazareth and seen 2000 crosses on a hill. And everybody there would have known that you don't mess with the Romans. And that's what they wanted you to believe. Don't jack with the Romans. Now, dictators always, always get deluded with their own power. And probably uh, one of the best known dictators of our time is Saddam Hussein. He looks a whole lot better there than he actually does today. I don't know if you saw the trial when they actually said that he's going to get the death penalty. He, he doesn't look so good anymore. But, but that's back in the day when he actually looked good. Saddam Hussein, it's estimated that he killed 290,000 people over a period of 20 years while he was the dictator of Iraq. That's about 14,500 people per year on average that he killed. These were his own people. This wasn't he was trying to conquer someone else. These were Iraqis. 14,500 a year. The Romans would do that in one battle. Saddam Hussein was a saint compared to the Romans. That's, that's what I want you to get out of this. Look at this statement. The Romans killed so many people that it was said that this one campaign, the general for 50 miles around, wasted the country with sword and flame. His name was Germanicus, was this general. Neither age nor sex inspired pity. Only the destruction of the race would end the war. These guys were bad. So who ruled the world at the time of Jesus? How did they rule? With terror. 
absolute terror. And that's big because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Now, who wrote, who ruled the Roman Empire? West said it a second ago. Caesar. Do you know who the first Caesar was? Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was the very first one. And he didn't really have all of the power. He had to share power with the parliament and with the Senate. So he didn't, you know, he wasn't the, the complete dictator yet. I think he spent a lot of his time inventing the salad. Just seeing if you're listening. Okay. Ah, yeah, but I'm cheek. Thank you. Now, his, his adopted son comes to power after this whole big power struggle. And you've probably heard this name, um, or at least you've heard the name it was changed to. He was Octavian at first, but they changed his name to Augustus. Have you ever heard of Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus was the one who was in power when Jesus was born. Now, he, um, he consolidated all the power. He's the one who, who brought Rome back together and, and brought them into a uh, period of peace after they'd been in a hundred year civil war. So it was a big deal whenever Augustus came to power. Now, just real quickly, I want you to see the, this list of, and this is not all of the Caesars, but this is from a, a few years before Jesus' birth till many years after Jesus' birth. You got Julius Caesar. He gives way to Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Nero, Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. Now, probably the closest thing that we can compare to Caesar Augustus's power would be Hitler. You remember how many people it's estimated that Hitler killed how many Jews? Five to six million Jews. And, and we tend to think of him as a really bad dude. And if we were doling out justice, you know, we would say he's rotting in the pit of hell. If you take all of that list of Caesars that we had up there and basically equate that every one of them was a Hitler. You're getting the idea of what the Roman people were like, what the Roman Empire was like. We've dealt with one Hitler. They had to deal with Hitler after Hitler after Hitler who just wiped out. I mean, it said the destruction of the race is the only thing that would end certain wars because they were such bad folks. Now, Domitian, the last one that I had there, um, he actually declared himself God. And you're going to see that, that a lot of these guys had incredible egos. And I think you'd have to have a pretty good ego to say, I'm God. <laughs> you got to worship me. If you wanted to do business in the marketplace when, while Domitian was Caesar, you had to have a mark. First of all, you had to go to an altar and, and uh, declare your loyalty to Caesar. You had to worship Caesar. And then you would get a mark on your hand that would allow you to go and buy and sell in the marketplace. Well, you, if you know anything about the Jews, the Jews believed that anybody who claimed the, to be God, they believed he was fueled by the devil. They actually called Domitian the beast. You start seeing some prophecy here, when, if you've read any of Daniel, if you've read any of Revelation. You had to have the mark of the beast in order to even go and sell in the marketplace, buy and sell. These folks were not good folks. So you got Augustus. He's the ruler when Jesus was born. And you got to know a little bit about him if you're if you're going to have a true understanding of the Christmas story. Uh, he ruled from Britain to India. That's the that's the known world at that time and restored peace after this hundred years of civil war. Now, Rome was incredibly successful economically under his time. There was this peace under his rule. So eventually Parliament declares him God. 
You must be God. That's a pretty big title. So he's God. They, they declared him God incarnate on earth. He is, he is God in flesh on earth. Temples were built in his honor and sacrifices were made to the God Augustus. Now, Virgil was a poet during this time. And Virgil said of Caesar Augustus, the one who is to come will be the divine king of salvation for whom mankind has waited. He's talking about Caesar Augustus. He will be the divine king of salvation for whom mankind has waited. That's laying it on pretty thick, don't you think? But when you hear these kind of statements, put this in context. It makes you understand the one who is to come. Remember that phrase, the one who is to come. Because it helps you understand what happened in the book of Luke. John the Baptist is in prison. John the Baptist has declared Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who, who takes away the sins of the world. But things aren't going so well because he's in prison. And so he sends a couple of his followers to ask Jesus. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, to ask you, are you the one who was to come or should we look for someone else? See, John's going, I'm confused. You know, I used to believe. I don't know what's going on. I didn't think it was going to end this way. And you know what Jesus' response was? Jesus didn't go, yeah, I'm the one that is to come. Go tell everybody. He said, the blind receive sight. The lame are healed. The hungry are fed. Now, that's real important. Remember, when Jesus did stuff, people got well, people got uh, healed from things, people were fed, demons were cast out. That's a big deal because when you claim to be God like Caesar Augustus did, and you claim to be God like Jesus Christ did, one of you is lying. If you're living at the same time, and the proof is in what you do. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, back to Virgil. He was talking about Caesar. He says he will annihilate the evil of the past and free the people from unceasing fear. Now, that just makes me almost laugh if it weren't such a tragic statement. How did he come into power? By annihilating people. My military is bigger than your military. How did he rule? With terror. Now he's going to rescue people from unceasing fear. Now he's going to bring peace? I, I don't think so. Would you trust Hitler to run our country? Would you trust Saddam Hussein to run our country? No, and they haven't even been in our country. This guy's been the ruler, and now he's trying to convince you and me, if we're living during that time, that he is God and he's going to free you from unceasing fear. I don't think it works too well. Now, in 17 B.C., this really remarkable thing happens. We understand it, but they didn't understand it at the time. A comet goes flying by the earth. Now, if you have a, a, um, a kingdom whose boundaries are equal to the boundaries of the earth, and if you have an ego that's just as big, and you see a comet fly by, and you think you're God, and everybody's telling you you're God, then you might declare, like uh, Caesar Augustus did, that my cosmic time has come. There's a big star, I can't explain it. I will explain it this way. He said... That his father, Caesar, was riding on this comet to go be seated at the right hand of the uh, of the of God, the father, Zeus. So just by I mean, if you just use logic, that logic, if Caesar Augustus is riding up to be this, you know, sit at the right hand of the throne of God, the father, Zeus. And that was Augustus's father. What does that make Augustus? The son of God. Declared himself the son of God. 
And uh, folks were saying, man, there's nothing like this has ever happened in the history of the world. And so he proclaimed that he was the son of God. Now, if your ego is that big, it also makes sense to institute a 12 day celebration of your own birth called the 12 days of Advent. I'm not making this up. You can go read this in the history books. The 12 days of Advent began with Caesar Augustus. I want to have a party. I'm the son of God. It needs to be a really big party. You need to do it for 12 consecutive days. And you need to claim that I'm the son of God. And so what these people were saying was, man, it just doesn't get any better than this. But if you're in Nazareth and you see 2,000 people crucified, or you know that someone annihilated everyone, man, woman, child, animal, for 50 miles around the Rhine, you're not thinking this is the best it gets. You're not sitting around the fire drinking your little hot cocoa saying, it just doesn't get any better than this. You are thinking there's got to be something better. Well, it gets even better if you're, I mean, the story gets better, not, not better for the, the people who were there. To celebrate this 12 days of Advent, they started writing hymns to Caesar Augustus. You've heard of Christmas carols where there were Advent carols. And here's one of the things that the, that the youth sang. The Savior of peace who has brought a golden age to the world may at last with increasing splendor from age to age now and forever. So not only do they say he's the Savior of the world, they also say he's going to rule now and forever. Big deal. Besides the carols, how in the world would you get the word out? They didn't have CNN back then, so how would you get the word out? You know what they did? They minted coins. And on the coins, on one side was Caesar and his star. On the other side, it said that Augustus was the son of God. And so, by the way, he's the first one. Augustus is the first person to be put on a coin while he was still alive. You know, usually we honor people after they die. Well, Augustus said, no, I can't wait. Let's make some coins and let's circulate them. And it would take longer than CNN, but eventually the word would get out because you would have to use these coins in trading, buying and selling to get things for your family. So he's trying to get everyone in the known world to believe that he is the son of God. Now, you can understand why this was such a big deal to religious leaders. They, they thought that anybody who claimed to be God was fueled by the devil. And then they have these coins that have um, Caesar Augustus on there claiming to be God. And then Matthew 22 the religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask this question. Should we pay tribute to Caesar? The Jews despised him. But the religious leaders also despised Jesus. And so they thought they had him between a rock and a hard place. If he answered, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then he was going to be an enemy of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire would take care of him. Jesus would be out of the way. They wouldn't have to worry about it. But if he said pay taxes to Caesar, all the Jews were going to say, no way. You can't be our savior because you're supposed to free us from this oppressive rule. They thought they had him. Jesus, unbelievably, what's he do? He says, bring me a coin. OK, you saw what was on there. Bring me a coin. And he looks at it and he says, whose inscription is this on here? And whose image, whose portrait is the way one translation puts it? Whose portrait's on here? Caesar's. Jesus said, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Give to God the things that are God's. And the Bible says these words. His reply amazed them and they went away. <laughs> Good answer, Jesus. Good answer. Now, 
this begs the question, how in the world did Caesar get so powerful? Well, he had a huge army. How do you pay your huge army to stay loyal to you? How do we pay our army today? Hello? <laughs> Taxes. Taxes. If you want to know how much land you can go get back in this day, if you want to expand your borders of your empire, you got to know how big your army is. You got to pay your army so that they'll stay loyal. So if you want to know how much money you can, you, how much more land you can conquer, what you got to do is you got to know how many people you can tax. Right? Listen to this. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Why did he declare a census? He needed more money. He wanted to know how much more he could get, so how many more lands can he conquer? All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And by the way, just the answer to our quiz question earlier. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. How'd she get there? Don't say anything about a donkey. Maybe he gave her a piggyback ride. I don't know. It doesn't say. So anyway, there's your answer to your quiz question. Okay, now, if you remember Jewish history, you remember there was a time when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and they wandered around because they were supposed to go in the promised land. They didn't get to go in the promised land because they didn't obey God. But eventually, 40 years later, they get to go into the promised land. When they get in the promised land, the first thing they do is they begin conquering the land. And there were 12 tribes. And so what God said, he told Joshua, divide the land up among the tribes. The tribes were the families. So if we have a Washburn tribe there, then the Washburns go over here. We conquer this area and we get the Washburn land. And so if you look at any map from that time, you'll see that there was the tribe of Judah and there was the tribe of Dan and Naphtali and, and Manasseh. All of these tribes got land. And the one thing you were told when your father was about to die and he was blessing you, the one thing you were told is do not lose the land. God gave us this land. Do not lose the land. Now you've got the Roman Empire that comes in and, and takes over. And it started way back, you know, a couple hundred years B.C. And if you were a good Jew and you were paying the temple tax and then you're paying the Caesar tax, it's estimated you were probably paying 80 to 90 percent of, of your income to support God's work and Caesar's work at the same time. How many of you could live on 10 percent of your income? No one, no one, anyone, Bueller. Okay. Um, neither could they. And so you know what the one thing they had? Land. You know what you do if you can't pay your taxes and you're trying not to go to jail? Sell your land. And then if you don't have land to keep you in one area, what do you do? You are a nomad. You go where the work is. What did Joseph do for a living? He was a carpenter. If you were a carpenter and you didn't have land and you needed work, where would you go? Where there's work. OK, now you can begin to understand why Joseph wasn't in his own land. He was a nomad going around. And then when Caesar says everybody has to return to the land of their ancestors and register, you understand you're beginning to see the picture of the Christmas story. He had to travel back. He was in Nazareth because that that's where the work was. So the Christmas story comes out of this huge Economic hard times. If you can think of third world country and the economic 
situations there. You can begin to get a picture of what it was like for a Jew during the time of the Roman Empire, during the time that Jesus was born. Now, in the midst of all this, Caesar claims to be the one who brings salvation, the one who brings peace, the one who brings prosperity. Has he done it? No. And you know it. You just don't say it out loud because you could die. So here's what happens. Here's here's the story. Luke chapter two, verses eight through twelve. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I, am, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, I imagine a whole lot of babies were born that year. Right? I mean, that's... This is what you figure. There are humans around. A lot of babies were probably born that year. What made this baby special? Did angels show up anywhere else to proclaim the Messiah is born? King of the Jews. He will rescue his people. And if you hear about any other story like that? There's only one story like that in the history of the world. Now, can you understand? Would, would Caesar Augustus have liked Luke's story? Oh, no. I'm the son of God, but you got somebody out here that had angels. <laughs> I didn't have angels. He's got angels, but he's a baby. Who's going to win the all powerful Caesar or this baby lying in a feeding trough for heaven's sake? Who's going to win this war? It looks like Caesar. Anybody with a brain at that time would have said Caesar wins. Well, can you understand why people would die if they had a copy of Luke's story? If Augustus just kills people for fun. And you've got a story that says, oh, no, Augustus isn't God's son. We have the real one. Can you understand why people would die? This story is about two different kinds of empires. One kingdom, one empire crushes people. One empire rules with terror. The other empire loves people. Picks up the downtrodden. In fact, Jesus talked about true religion is reaching out to the poor and the oppressed. This is a huge cosmic battle right in front of our eyes. Who's going to win? The Romans say Caesar is Lord. Christians say Jesus is Lord. The Romans say Caesar lives. I got a problem with that one. Put up that list. What do you see there? Julius Caesar, 44 B.C. What happened to him? He died. Augustus, 27 to 14 A.D. He died. Tiberius died. Caligula died. Nero died. You see, you see a pattern here? Vespasian died, Titus died, Domitian died. What's the only religion in the history of the world where the founder is not in the grave? Christianity. Who won? In fact, the baby won. And the most amazing thing to me is that Jesus said to his followers before he died, he said, they will know you are my followers by your what for each other? Your love for each other. Your incredible love for each other will win over the multitudes. Within 200 years of Jesus' birth, Christianity completely took over the Roman Empire. 
Who won? Baby. I mean, unbelievable that in the corner of the largest empire in the world to an oppressed people, poverty stricken people, nobody's is born a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And if you were looking at it, you would not have chosen to do it that way. I wouldn't either. Now, why is this relevant? Because Caesars still rule today. There are Caesars everywhere today. You and I have a kingdom. Now, it may be a little bitty kingdom. (laughs) The kingdom is called our lives. And sometimes we do a good job of ruling our kingdom, and sometimes we do a bad job of ruling our kingdom. And see, this little story about this baby born in the corner of this huge empire is a story that Caesar doesn't get the last word. No matter what you are facing today, it does not get the last word. Every one of us has something ruling our kingdom. It may be drugs ruling our kingdom. Drugs do not have to win. Drugs do not get the last word. That's what Jesus is teaching us in the manger. You may have a sorry marriage. It doesn't have to be that way because Jesus gets the last word. Debt may be ruling your life, but debt does not have to have the last word because Jesus was born the savior of the world. And one of the one of the incredible things to me is that that Caesar used to go out just to appease the masses. Well, actually, he wouldn't go out. He would send his flunkies to go out and he would give them loaves of bread. And they'd say, Caesar is Lord. Here's some bread. Caesar is Lord. Here's some bread. And he claimed to be the bread of life. So when Jesus comes along, he says, I'm the bread of life. Eat of me. It's this huge battle. Waging for people. And Jesus wins. I want you to take your registration cards. I want you just to fill out. Just the front. So we'll have a record that you're here. And then on the back, I'm going to ask you to do something. As we finish up today.